his ministry and some of that stuff. And, and he doesn't know what to do. And basically what's happening is all these gang members are getting saved. They're, they're drug addicts, alcoholics, all kinds of stuff. And so he buys this big home and he opens his home. And uh, he starts um, helping these uh, drug addicts get off of drugs. Okay? And so basically his way would be lock him in a room, <laughs> you know, because he didn't know what else. I mean, he was there with them. They had people with them around the clock. And they weren't held against their will to, to some extent. They made an agreement ahead of time, all this stuff. Basically, it's just, it was just a, a complete detox of your system until it's out of your system with the DTs, all the stuff that's involved. And then, then they'd be off cocaine, they'd be off heroin, all the, whatever the drugs are, they'd be off those drugs. And then they would be, they would be part of the, the community, very, very connected um, spiritual community. And they'd do okay, and, and within four, five, six months, they'd be back on drugs. And... And at this particular time, so I'm in my early 20s, I'd gone to, been in the Navy, I'd gone to one year of state college um, in Texas, and I went been to one year of Bible college. I didn't, and, and I didn't make good grades in any of those things, except the Navy, but you don't make grades. Um, but I hadn't made good grades, I, I wasn't really about school, I wasn't really normal, I mean, I just, I just partying and whatever. So, uh, so then I, I go to be a youth pastor. I do get saved, and I go to Bible school. That's why I got saved. I mean, that's why I went to Bible school. I got saved. And I knew God had called me to ministry as a young kid. And so, so there was this discussion going around in the Bible college. So this would have been 1988-9, right, that time frame, okay? And um, there, was, there was this big discussion in, in my generation. We were all 18, 19, 20, 21-year-olds, my generation at that time. And there was this big discussion. This was, a, this was a Pentecostal Bible school. Okay, that's important to note. Uh, we were discussing whether or not this whole thing we had heard all of our lives. Most of, those, most of those guys were pastors, kids, missionaries, kids, stuff like that. We were trying to figure out this whole thing called the baptism of the Holy Spirit or empowerment of the Holy Spirit or the gifts of the Spirit, the, the, not the fruits. We never, nobody ever argues over the fruits, but... Um, the, the, the gifts of the Spirit, um, you know, speaking in tongues, all that kind of stuff. Is this really real? Is it necessary? Does it matter? Um, speaking in tongues matter? That was the big one. You know, you, nobody could stand up and say, we don't believe the Holy Spirit wants to be in anybody's life. Nobody said that, okay? But all the things the Holy Spirit does is what we were discussing, right? And I, and I didn't know. I'd grown up in this thing. My... my um, great-grandfather was, was in on the AG of the, the, pretty near the beginning, the Assemblies of God. And, um, and my grandmother went to the same Bible school. My parents went to the same Bible school. I went to the same Bible school. Now the Bible school is much bigger. It's a university. It's all kinds of stuff. My, my, all three of my kids have at least attended that Bible school. Um, my granddaughter will go to that Bible school. Um, I don't know. But but, but here's the thing with that, is we were trying to figure out, what is this whole baptism of the Holy Spirit? What does it matter? This is, this is Pentecost Sunday coming up this Sunday. Pe Pentecost is very important because Easter, Passover and Easter are the same thing, right? Easter is the fulfillment of Passover, and Jesus dies on Passover. You understand, okay? I've talked about this a little bit in, at different times over the years. You understand, it's not an accident, okay? It's not like... The lamb that was slain accidentally died on the day that they celebrate the lamb that was slain. Okay? 
You understand that's not like, good job, buddy, nailed that accidentally. No. Jesus, Jesus had been... That's why there's all kinds of stuff in the New Testament Jesus says it tells you he knew when he, the day he was going to die. Maybe not, maybe not necessarily the year until it got closer. Okay? Not like when he was 12, I'm going to die at 33 on Easter. No, that, but but we, it says he grew up in the knowledge of the Lord. But by the time he was an adult, he knew what was going to happen. Right? It was, the Holy Spirit was showing him all this stuff. Because at one time they, they come to capture Jesus and he said, no, it's not time for me to die yet. See, you people, you humans don't get to make that decision. Jesus said, I make the decision. I know when I'm dying because I'm the one who's choosing to die. I am giving my life. Nobody is taking my life. Now, I use language and verbalization sometimes about that, um, that they brutalized Jesus, they murdered Jesus, and that, that's all true. But Jesus had ordained it to happen. He allowed that to happen. Okay? So those people didn't decide we're going to kill him today. Satan had been trying to destroy Jesus from the beginning. Finally, Jesus just opened the door and said, okay, now go ahead. All right? Now, knowing that, the, the next feast or festival or celebration that comes up in the Jewish calendar after Passover is something that we now call Pentecost. Okay? It's the festival of the beginning of the harvest. That's, that's a long way to say it. There's little names. I mean, if you, if you Google that right now, you're going to get 15 different names for that, depending on what part of Judaism, what part, who's talking about it, all this other kind of stuff. Um, but, the, but the main thing is the festival of the harvest, the beginning of the harvest. So again, Jesus tells the disciples, all of his followers, he tells them, go and wait in Jerusalem until you've been empowered by the Holy Spirit. Don't leave Jerusalem. Now, he had been telling them, leave, leave, leave. They said, don't leave Jerusalem until you've been empowered by the Holy Spirit or filled with the Holy Spirit. Then you leave Jerusalem and go take the gospel to the ends of the earth. But don't do it without the power of the Holy Spirit. This was very, very important to Jesus. This was, this was crucial. This was the determining factor of the, of the rest of history. Okay? So, it says that the disciples, the, all of his followers, 120 people in the upper room, depending on their upper room, colonnade or whatever, we understand it was at this moment. And it says that they were all in one accord, okay? And uh, they, you know, I have heard so many different messages. But I grew up in Pentecostal churches. I've heard so many different messages. And some people are so off base, they don't even know how far off base they are. When they say things like, the Holy Spirit was waiting for them to all get, that they were all in one accord. In other words, they were all united on the same page and everything. And that's when the Holy Spirit came because he was waiting for them to get on the same page. No, he wasn't. How long were they in one accord? We don't know how long that motor on that Honda had been running. They, we, that we only know that that day they were also in one accord. Right? You following me? How long were they in one accord? Maybe the whole 10 days. Because remember, Jesus was doing stuff for about 40 days, and the ascension was about 40 days after the resurrection. So about 10 days, they all headed for Jerusalem. I don't know how long it took them to get in the same place all at the same time, whatever. But for a few days, they were there, and at least on that day, they were all in one accord. Now, here's the thing. The Holy Spirit was not waiting for that. Now, why is that important? Because I grew up all my life, all my life as a kid, I heard Pentecostal churches that the Holy, the Holy Spirit is waiting for us 
The, the Holy Spirit, this is the, the terminology they use because this was a long time ago and that we still talk to King James on holy things. But they said that, we, that they, the Holy Spirit is, is tarrying until uh, we get in unity. Unity is a great thing in the body of Christ. It's a vital thing in the body of Christ. But it has nothing, zero, zero to do with you being empowered by the Holy Spirit. Zero. If it says that 120 people were all there and only one of them was in one accord. You mean one accord? Yeah, because they were in accord with the Holy Spirit, not with each other. Although they potentially were with each other too. I'm not taking that off the table. But the important thing is that they were in one accord with the Holy Spirit. If only one person in that whole Acts chapter 2 moment was, was connected with the Holy Spirit and listening and ready and their spirits open and waiting, then the only thing it would have said was, and one guy was filled with the Holy Spirit and he spoke in tongues. That's all it would, that would have been the difference. Instead it says, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and all of them spoke in tongues. If, if only 80 of them were in one accord, it would have said 80 people were filled with the Holy Spirit and 80 people spoke in tongues. Why? Because it's not important whether you're in unity in a church service with everybody else in that church service. And here's the, here's the greatest proving factor we know. Because it says, when they were filled with the Holy Spirit, they spoke in other tongues, and there was a flame of fire above each of their heads. Each person had a flame of fire over their heads. That means the Holy Spirit was empowering that person individually. They just all happened to have a flame of fire. But if it would have been the one guy, there would have been one flame of fire above his head. You understand the significance of this is important because you don't have to be in cooperation with somebody else to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You need to be in cooperation with the Holy Spirit. Now, as Christians, we're supposed to be in cooperation with each other, okay? But that's not, that's not a prerequisite for the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. That's, that's important for Christian body and Christian walk. Those are huge things. But to you to be empowered, it's you. Now, here's the thing that I want us to look at tonight. Because I, I don't think, th this was the struggle that I had years ago. So David Wilkerson, he goes and, he, and he's struggling with this. These guys are clean for three, four, five months, six months, come back and then, then, they, then they're addicted again. They come back in and he finally, he was praying about this, praying about this, and he finally realized we're missing the most important thing. As he went back through scripture and looked at this, he said, it's the empowerment of the Holy Spirit that gives the power to the gospel. It gives the power to the walk of Christ. Covered with the blood of Jesus, you belong to Jesus Christ. That happens through the, through the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit's in your life. But there's a difference between being empowered by the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit being in your life uh, for salvation and those kind of things. Holy Spirit's in your life all the time if you're a Christian. But, he, but you're not empowered. You actually have to go after empowerment. You have, to, you have to pursue empowerment. It doesn't just happen. And it's not a one-time-for-all thing. Okay? It, and it is separate than salvation. There's a bunch of ways we know that. How do we know that the empowerment of the Holy Spirit is separate than salvation? Start in Acts 2. All those guys were already saved. They didn't get saved in in. Uh, in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 2, they were already saved. They'd been saved for, well, at the minimum, uh, 50 days. Right? Theoretically, 50 days. 
Now, I personally believe, and this one's going a little bit out there uh, theologically, and, I, and it would take too long to explain, but just to throw it out here. I believe that you get saved the moment that you acknowledge that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. We see those moments in the, in the Gospels. When Peter says to Jesus, you're the Messiah, and Jesus says, you didn't get that by yourself, buddy. The Holy Spirit showed you that. I believe that's a salvation moment for Peter. It's not finalized till the cross, but he got it. And that's what salvation with Jesus is, is when you get it and then you attribute yourself to Christ. You give yourself. It's not just a cognitive get it. It's a spiritual get it with no dissidence, but you're following. Now, I belong to Jesus because he's the Savior. That's what salvation is. Okay? So now, um, those guys were um, all saved on Acts chapter 2, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. All right? Um, we're going to go to a set of Scripture here in a little bit, but let me ask you this, and I'm going I'm to go to the Scripture and prove a few things with it, but let me ask you the question to open up some other subject before we go to it. Think in your head right now of some examples in Scripture from the Gospels to the book of Acts or somewhere into the epistles. But, but think for yourself, what is an example of why I would need the Holy Spirit? And not just the why theologically. In other words, well, because Jesus said and told the disciples, we're going we're gonna to talk about that a little bit throughout this. But is there an example somewhere in Scripture that they saw the importance and they were different? Now think about what I'm asking, because there's actually quite a few. When you look at somebody and you say, this is who they are, and then you can see where they're empowered by the Holy Spirit, and now there's something uh, else, stronger, better, more wise, or whatever the case is, where you can tell it's supernatural, it's not just human, okay? Any, any examples off the top of your head? That's, that's the quickest, easiest one. Okay? Now, now, here's the cool thing with Peter. is Peter is the best example from gospel to acts of anybody. Peter, Peter was uh, a loud, obnoxious, quick to act, slow to think all through the New Testament. He said dumb things, did dumb things. He's the only disciple that Jesus ever said, get behind me, Satan. That's, that's not what you want walking around with, you know? He's also the only one that Jesus said, you got that by the Holy Spirit. He's also the only one to get out of the boat. We don't talk about him sinking, but he, he's the only one that got out of the boat. Okay, everybody else was like, I don't think we can, you go ahead, Peter. You know, because Pete, they knew Peter would. Somebody, somebody in that boat was probably like, I dare you. I'll double dog dare you, you know. <laughs> because they knew Peter would. Why? Because Peter was action, man. No think, just action. Verbalization, no think, put mouth in gear, that kind of thing, Okay. And then Peter is the one who after Pentecost, after they're empowered by the Holy Spirit, he gets up and preaches one of the greatest encapsulations of the Bible and the, and the understanding of the gospel in the entire scripture. And he just, boom, that is not the same Peter two weeks before. Definitely not the same Peter 51 days, but 53 days before that denied Jesus three times and even, even cursed the, the name of Jesus in the process, scared of a little girl, scared of a little girl, but then he stands up. Now think about this, guys. We, we, sometimes we take the book of Acts and we separate it so much from the Gospels. It was only 50-something days 
from the last week of Jesus' life. So when Peter stood up and began to speak, there's almost a guarantee that some of the people that had been hauling Jesus to the cross, maybe even some of the soldiers that nailed him to the cross, and some of the religious leaders that, that stood there to take him to Pilate and everything else, they were in the crowd. They were standing there. These were the same people. And Peter is no longer scared. Why? Because he had the power of the universe just empowered him. Just jumped into the middle of his existence. Okay, we're going to talk a little bit more about Peter here in a second. But let's go to um, Acts chapter 4. This, <clears throat> to me, this is just amazing, huge. But so, so the, all of the followers, all of the disciples, all these people are filled with the Holy Spirit uh, in Acts chapter 2. So, so then we see where, where um, uh, Peter gets up and he begins, to, um, he begins to preach this sermon. He all of a sudden has boldness. We've, we just looked at all that kind of stuff, okay? Now let's go a little bit farther down. Let's go to um, Acts chapter 4. <clears throat> And uh, I use a little bit of this scripture over the last few weeks for different things, but uh, let's start in verse 16. Um, Peter and John have been preaching, and they arrested Peter and John. Why? Because it was against the law to, to have somebody claim that they are God or anything like that, and Jesus had claimed that he was God, and now these, these two guys are preaching the same thing, and they're saying that this guy that claimed that he's God... Uh, was was risen from the dead after the soldiers, and everybody knew they hung him on the cross. After that, now they're saying he, he rose from the dead, and we're going to continue saying the same thing he did. He's God. He's on the way to God the Father. That was against the law. They put him in jail for it. But part of the reason I say that is because it's amazing how many people right now across our country, church people, pastors, and everybody else, are saying that nobody in the New Testament ever broke the law because they all read Romans 15. And nobody ever broke the law. Then how'd these two guys get in jail? And, and, and then some people will parse it and say, well, that was because it was the religious law. Yeah, and guess what? If you were a Jew, that's the law you were under. That's the law. They were, that was the local authorities. So they got put in jail for it. Okay? So verse 16, what should we do with these men? They asked each other. This is the Sanhedrin, the Sanhedrin. We can't deny that they have performed a miraculous sign, and everybody in Jerusalem knows about it. You know, if I'm them, I'm not arguing against the miraculous sign. We saw them do the miraculous sign, but you know what? We still don't like them talking about this Jesus guy. We should shut this down. This would be my thing. If I was, if I was Peter or John or any of those guys, and of course, the Holy Spirit directed them. That's why they didn't say it. I would have been out of line. But I would have gone to them and said, okay, since you know everything, you heal somebody. Just pony up. Did, you know, kind of the um, Elijah on the mountainside thing? God just healed this guy through me praying. Now you heal. But, you know, they, obviously the Holy Spirit didn't lead them to say that. So, so verse 17, But to keep them from spreading their propaganda any further, we must warn them not to speak to anyone in Jesus' name. This is now the, you, this is the law. Don't speak in Jesus' name. So they called the apostles back in and commanded them never again to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. Now Peter and John replied, because they're not scared. Peter and John replied, do you think God wants us to obey you rather than him? 
That's the answer, man. Okay. We cannot stop telling about everything we have seen and heard. Here's the thing that gets me about those two verses. These two verses have bothered me for years and years. I've preached about this, talked about this. It's even stronger right now than I've ever seen it. We would never answer anybody. I'm saying, I'm saying the church world, society would not answer anybody like this. Why? Because they're not going around telling people about Jesus. You've you got to be going around telling people about Jesus before this applies to you. And I'm saying specifically verse 20. We cannot stop telling about everything we have seen and heard. Does that really? Now, I'm, I know I'm being uh, uh, critical here, but does that really describe the church in America right now? That that's what the average person in the church of America is saying right now? That we cannot stop telling about everything we have seen and heard about Jesus. Not about your church, not about your new worship band, not about your new worship song, not about the cool way your church does things. That's not what I'm talking about. Are we going around telling people about Jesus, all the things that we know about Jesus? And we can't stop. Put me in jail or don't put me in jail. But I'm not going to stop this. Think about the indictment that is on, on us as the church. Because we're not going around telling anybody. None of us would be put in jail. This, this is the thing that's been going through my head so strong these last three or four months when I'm seeing pastors attack people, when I'm seeing church Christians attack people for, for wanting to have church. For wanting to have church. Yes, I am part of that group. We never stopped having church here. Never, ever did we go a service with, on a Sunday that somebody was not in this building. Not just our staff, but somebody. We never stopped having church. Why? There's a constitutional thing. I've talked about that. But the biggest thing in the bottom of my spirit is because I serve Jesus and I gotta keep, I've got to keep that road. I've got to keep on that road. And I can't imagine. We, we had two families that showed up one Sunday in the first three or four weeks, two different people that, had, that hadn't been in church in years. And God had convicted them. And they said, I was driving around and I saw cars in your parking lot. And he prayed and gave his heart to the Lord. You understand what I just said? That's why I've been saying since the very beginning of this, we're not going to lock our doors. We're still doing it online. We, we were focusing on that. We've been doing it online for three years. But yes, we did focus in and understood that this was online services. But guys, at the end of the day, I'm not going to lock the doors. I'm just not. And how many pastors and other Christians are saying, well, you're being dangerous, you're being irresponsible, you're being all these other things. The president just said we could start having church again. Did you know less than 40% of the churches in the United States had church last weekend? If we're so adamant about this, and it was all about the law, when the president said we could have church, why didn't churches have church? Think about what I'm saying. Well, we have to limit it. Okay, I know some churches, Linda was telling me this the other day. Now, we're not going to because we we've been having church the whole time. We're not changing anything. We haven't changed anything from the beginning. But she was telling me that some churches are having like five and six services just to accommodate social distancing and masks and everything. At least they're trying. Give them credit for it. At least they're trying. They're doing something better than just, ah, you know, we'll go for a while. It don't matter. I know some churches are like, well, we may open in July. I, I, I don't want to be critical of these people. They have to do what they believe God is telling them to do. They have to. But here's the thing with me. Where's the pro the propelling desire to make sure people know Jesus, not just your church. Here's one of the things, and this is where I'm going to probably cross a line, okay? 
A lot of these churches, they're getting that government PPP and things like that to, to, to take care of their staff and all that kind of stuff. We got it here, all this kind of stuff. So their idea is when we run out of money, we'll open back up. I, I struggle with that. You may say, we want to be safe. Okay, I don't struggle with that as much. I don't think we're unsafe, but that's your issue. But, but the only reason you're waiting is because you still got money in the coffers and you're good. I struggle with that a lot. When are we just compelled to be about Jesus? To be about Jesus. Now look at this, because this is huge. And by the way, I believe all the stuff I just said, it's explained right here. Why churches don't care enough. Why people don't, why Christians will attack other Christians because they want to get together and have a prayer meeting with two or three other families in the secretness of their house. You're being dangerous. Really? But we can go stand in Lowe's and have it because there's 500 other people there. But we can't have it in our house. I, okay, I, I, I pick on that stuff. Too. Let's move on. All right. Verse 21. Then the council then threatened them further. But they finally let them go because they didn't know how to punish them without starting a riot. I really believe that's where we have been in our country in the last two or three months. And I, I have wished, I have I've prayed, I've even talked to some pastors. I, I, I wish the church would have stood up at the beginning of this and said, we respect the pandemic, we respect all this stuff, but we're still going to have church for anybody that wants to show up. If you're in the category, and by the way, I've said this to at least five different families in our church, you're in the category that you're most susceptible to coronavirus, stay home. Okay? You can watch online, stay home. Because I, I don't want somebody to get sick. But 99.98% of the country is going to be fine. So, our church was open. Now, here's the thing. Is, I, I really believe that the churches would have just stood up from the beginning and said, nope, we're not doing this. First, you cannot constitutionally do this, Mr. Governor, of whatever state. doesn't matter what state. You can't constitutionally do this. We're going to stand. We're going to have church. We're going to be praying. We're going to be reaching out. We're going to be doing all this stuff. Most churches shut down and then attack guys like me. But if they would have just said, we're not doing this, businesses would have been open in two weeks. They would have said, businesses shut down, and, and all the churches would have said, no. And the business would have said, uh, probably not, maybe, no. And then they would have opened but instead, you got two or three mom and pop places here in Colorado that opened up and the state attacked them. And, I, and I'm putting that more at the feet of the church than the governor. Because if the church would have been the church, the governor would have been powerless. Why? Look at this again. But they finally let them go because they didn't know how to punish them without starting a riot. And that's what would have happened. The churches would have said, no, we're not doing it. And I read today the deaths have gone over 100,000. I said this two weeks ago, guys, that is a big pile of lie. The, the, the deaths are not even, near, not even near half that. We know that because of the CDC and because of Dr. Burks. We know that. Now, let me get back to where I'm, this is not the direction I'm trying to go. We can't do this without starting a riot for everyone was praising God for this miraculous sign, the healing of a man who had been lame for more than 30, 40 years. Now, again, remember wh Why? Why, how did this man get healed? Peter and John walked up to the temple, right? Remember this story? Let's, let's just look at it real quick. Um, <clears throat> make sure I got this in there. Am I even in the right chapter? Yeah. 
minute trying to go to chapter 3. Yeah. Okay, so, um, so Peter and John had been going to the temple all the time. All the apostles did. Jesus went to the temple. All of them had been going to the temple day after day after day. After day all of, so they're going to the temple. But then this one day, something was different. Peter and John went to the temple one afternoon to take part in the three o'clock prayer service. As they approached the temple, a man lame from birth was being carried in. They had seen this guy all the time. Each day he was put beside the temple gate. Each day. The one called the beautiful gate so he could beg from the people going into the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for some money, just like he did with everybody. Peter and John looked at him intently. I think there's your key right there. Verse 4 is the key. Peter and John looked at him intently. Peter and John have been looking at this dude every single day. So when it says Peter and John looked at him intently on this day, what do you think possibly was happening? Any ideas? Holy Spirit is now saying, Peter, John, pay attention. Today's different. Pay attention. That's why Peter and John paused and they stared at him intently. They're looking at him intently, but they're listening in their spirit and in their head and they're saying, wait a second, today's different. It's not like Peter and John set out that morning, hey, the dude at the temple gate, let's go heal that guy. They had no idea. They, they weren't anticipating this, planning this. But the chapter before, literally just a few days potentially before this, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And Peter gets up and preaches this sermon. And, and uh, what is it, 5,000 people added to the church that day? 5,000 people saved. Whoa. That's power of the Holy Spirit. That's not human convincing. That's not apologetics. I'm a huge fan of apologetics, but this is not apologetics. In other words, convincing people through, through biblical logic uh, who Jesus is. This is the power of the Holy Spirit. Pow. 5,000 people saved. So they looked at him intently, and Peter said, look at us. Get his attention. Hey, pay attention. Stop asking for money. Something's about to happen. Gets his attention. The layman looked at them eagerly expecting some money. Peter said, I don't have any silver or gold from you. For you, obviously. I, I've, I've said that before in different ways. Without trying to sound cheesy, you know, like quoting the book, oh, silver and gold, don't I have none, but I'm, you know. But I've said that to different people before, even, even people like this that are homeless, lame, whatever the case is. I said, I don't have any money to give you. I do have something I can give you. And when you say that, <laughs> most people are like, oh. And that happened to me very recently, actually. Somebody was asking me for something. I said, I don't, I don't give anybody cash. But I did tell him, I said, but I'll give you, I'll give you stuff. I'm not going to give you cash. I'll give you gas. I'll give you food. I'll give you a job. I'll give you any of these things you want. But I'm not going to give you cash. And he said, oh. I just said I would fill his gas tank up. I just said I'll give you groceries. Oh. I wonder what this dude did. It doesn't say he was exasperated. But... <laughs> But, but Paul, uh, Peter said, I don't have any money, but I'll give you what I do have. See, here's the thing. Peter is saying something here that's a profound sentence. Peter understands that he has the power of the Holy Spirit in his existence. He didn't say this before Acts 2, but he's saying it after Acts 2. Okay, now, then, then the guy gets healed. Okay, now let's go down to Acts chapter 4 again, and let's look at this, all right? 
So they keep telling uh, Peter and John, stop doing this. Stop healing or whatever. Verse 23, as soon as they were freed, Peter and John returned to the other believers. Guys, this is, this is a few days to a week or two after Acts 2. This is not very long at all. Okay? As soon as they were freed, Peter and John returned to the other believers and told them what the, the leading priests and elders had said. What did they say? Stop preaching or we're going to be putting you back in jail. Stop telling people about Jesus. Stop it. You've you, you got to stop saying that Jesus is God. Okay? When they heard the report, all the believers lifted their voices together in prayer to God. O sovereign Lord, creator of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them, you spoke long ago by the Holy Spirit through our ancestor David, you, your servant, saying, Why are the nations so angry? Why didn't they waste their time? Why did they waste their time with futile plans? The kings of the earth prepared for battle. The rulers gathered together against the Lord and his Messiah. Basically, they're, they're taking a... a um, Okay, this is my opinion. It sounds a little critical. It's not. I think it's natural human nature to do this. And they're trying to talk to God about this subject, okay? What they're saying is, Peter and John got put in jail, and they're telling us that we can't tell people about who you are. And you know what this is like, God. You've seen this all through history, where the entire earth will come against you and try to attack you and your kingdom and, and, and tear down the very essence of your Messiah. And, and my point, I, if I'd have been in the crowd, I'd be like, guys, I understand. I think there's a little overkill. I don't think what we're experiencing is the same thing as the Messiah being torn down from the foundations of creation. You know, I don't think it's that kind of thing. But at the same time, they are right about this. It's the same spirit of Antichrist and it's the same mindset. Satan is always trying to tear down Jesus. Always trying to tear down Jesus. Well, guess what? Satan can't touch Jesus. He can't. He has no authority to get to Jesus. So how does he attack Jesus? Through you and I. He attacks you. When you stand up and you start looking and thinking and acting a little bit more like Jesus, you start talking to Jesus and telling people about Jesus, Satan will attack you. Well, he always, he's always attacking you. But now you're, you've got a, a bigger target on you because now you're actually starting to look and act like your creator in his image. You're looking like the Word. You're saying things the Word said. And now Satan has, has got you in his sights. And that's what they're saying. Okay, at first glance, you're like, I don't know if it's the same, but it's the same spirit of Antichrist they're talking about. Satan is trying to hurt you because you look like Jesus. And he can't have that. He doesn't mind you looking like Satan. He doesn't mind you looking like the stuff of the world. You want to look like him? He's fine. You're safe. You start looking less like Satan and you start looking more like Jesus and you're a threat. Okay? So this is, what, this is what happens. In fact, this happened here in this very city. For Herod Antipas, Pontius Pilate, the governor, the Gentiles, and the people of Israel were all united against Jesus, your holy servant, whom you anointed. But everything they did was determined beforehand according to your will. In other words, Jesus died at his, at his pleasure. Okay? And now, O oh Lord, hear their threats and give us, your servants, great boldness in preaching your word. Now, why would they pray for great boldness in preaching the word of God and the, and the gospel of Jesus? Why would they pray for great boldness? They're afraid. It's dangerous. These are all legitimate things. 
Guys, remember, this is just this is this is less than three or four months after Jesus was killed. All of the same people are the ones that were sitting there talking to Peter and John in the Sanhedrin, saying, uh, "Stop talking about Jesus. Stop talking about Jesus. We just killed him. They were the ones who just killed him." Okay, so now. Peter and John are put in jail, they're released, and they know they're going to be put back in jail. People are going to start dying. There's going to be stuff that's going on. Jesus already died. There's going to be other people dying. Okay? And we know that because literally the next chapter, Stephen. Okay? So, so here's what they pray. God give us boldness. Why? Because they're scared. They're intimidated. This, they, they, they never dealt with this before. Their entire lives, they've never been threatened with being put in jail because of what you believe in your heart. And what you know to be true. And the fact that you, you saw Jesus personally. You know he's alive. Now they're actually being threatened to be put in jail. So they pray for boldness. So what happens? This is the key. These are all of the same people. With maybe a few minuses and additions. But these are the, all the same people that were in Acts chapter 2. Uh, being filled with the Holy Spirit. All in the Honda. Okay, that these are the same people. Now look at this. Um, now, O Lord, hear their threats and give us, your servants, great boldness in preaching your word. Stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant Jesus. After this prayer, the meeting place shook and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they preach the word of God with boldness. They asked for boldness. What was God's response? Let me fill you with the Holy Spirit. Well, we were just filled a couple weeks ago. Yeah, and guess what happened after you were filled with the Holy Spirit? Peter, you stood up with boldness. And you preached the gospel and 5,000 5, 5, people. How many got saved? 3,000? 3,000 people got saved that day. Boom. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. They preached with boldness. Thousands of people got saved. A couple weeks later, they're getting nervous and scared again. They haven't done this thing. They, they, don't, have, they don't have all of these uh, books on how to walk in the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit. They don't have all these teachings of, of the, the, the... First Corinthians haven't even been written yet. They don't know how to... The, the, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. They don't even know what they are. Nobody's even told them the gifts of the Holy Spirit yet. Paul's going to explain that to them. But they do know that when they were filled, they begin to, to speak in tongues, pray in tongues. And the more they prayed in tongues, the powerfuller they got. The bolder they got. The more powerful they got. And the bolder they got. And then Peter stands up and nails it. A couple weeks later, same thing. We're a little nervous. This... How does this Holy Spirit thing work? See, here is a huge lesson that we learned from Acts chapter 4. That they were learning too, by the way. They didn't know this. You don't get filled with the power of the Holy Spirit one time, and it's good. You don't. Because guess what? You're going to walk out the door, and there's going to be threats tomorrow. You're going to walk out the door, and there's going to be traps by Satan. You're going to walk out the door and there's going to be temptations by Satan. You're going to walk out the door and you're going to need his word deep within your spirit. And it needs to come to the surface in power. You're going to need all this kind of stuff. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. And so you need more power. 
And so they said, God, we need boldness again. We already, ha- we already got power. We're probably good there. But we need more boldness. And God says, where do you think the boldness came from? The power. And so they were filled with the Holy Spirit again. Again. I think your salvation is good. Now, we, we don't believe around here, we don't believe in unconditional eternal security. In other words, um, you get saved once and you're saved no matter what you do after that. Whether you love God, don't love God, sin, don't sin, or whatever. I mean, it's, it's like God stamped you and you're saved no matter what. We don't believe that. Why? Because it's the condition of your heart that decided whether you're going to get saved. It's the condition of your heart that decides whether you stay saved. You're a free will person. You decide whether you love Jesus. Nobody can make you do that. And loving Jesus is salvation, not praying a prayer. Loving Jesus being in relationship with Jesus' salvation. So we don't believe in, in unconditional eternal security. I believe it's conditional. There's one condition. What is it? I heard lots of things. Your heart. I, I've heard people say, not sinning. That is not a condition. Your heart. Your heart is the condition. You, you love Jesus, you're good with Jesus. I mean love him like, like Jesus said love him. With everything about you. Heart, soul, mind, body, spirit. Every, just put them all in there. You love Jesus like that, you're saved. You don't, I don't know that you are. No matter how many rules or whatever you go by. No matter how much church you have or whatever. Okay, now with that being said. I do believe that your salvation is pretty solid and secure. Okay, with that said. I do believe it's pretty solid and secure. And the churches I grew up, the Pentecostal churches I grew up, if you blinked funny, you went to hell for it. And I realized over time, no, that's not, that's not really it. That's not really it. Well, you broke that rule. This is the way I looked at Jesus all my life. Until I was probably in my mid-20s. I'd already been a youth pastor for about five years. And it started clicking in my head. Jesus is not walking around with a clipboard trying to catch you doing, breaking one of his rules. He's not. That's not relationship. He loves you. Grace covers, not forgives, covers a multitude of sins. Jesus is pretty good with you. He's going to carry you a long way into stupidity and other things until you finally just say, I don't need you, Jesus. Now, we don't usually verbalize that out loud. We verbalize it with our attitude, actions, and everything else. Okay? But he's going to carry you a lot because he loves you. But if you just absolutely don't want him, he's not going to make you. He's not going to make you serve him. But I do believe your salvation is pretty secure. Just love him. This is a total different subject when we're talking about being empowered by the Holy Spirit. It's a total different subject. The, the, the way I always think about it is you've got to put gas back in the car. You've got to put more gas in the car. And if you're a tiny, little, thin, skinny person, you probably need to put more gas more often. If you're like just a a little Prius or something, you need to gas up a lot. If you're a big old hefty Jeep like me, (laughs) lasts a lot longer. So I'm like, I don't think that's in the Bible. (laughs) So they said, we need boldness again, God. We feel like we're losing our boldness. We're getting scared. We're getting intimidated. God says, then let me do what I did the first time you needed boldness. I'm going to give you the whole power of the Holy Spirit. This is why Paul says later, he's, he says, um, he says, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. This is an ongoing thing. I'm not going to talk about drinking. 
I get so irritated with Christians that drink and think it's cool. But either way, so, but, but, but let's go to the second half. But be filled with the Holy Spirit. But be filled with the Holy Spirit. Why? That's an ongoing thing, constantly being filled with the Holy Spirit. Being filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, I've had so many questions over the years about this. So, uh, so how often do we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit? I, I would say all the time, constantly. There's not a, it's not like every Tuesday, okay? On Tuesday mornings, filled with the Holy Spirit day. That's not, to me, to me, I pray all day long, specifically when I sense that I'm going through difficult things or processing stuff, or, or somebody comes in and they're like, Pastor, my whole world's falling apart. I begin to pray, Holy Spirit, I need you right now. I, I don't know what to tell them. I don't know what to do. You know, they're talking, and I'm going, my, in my head, I'm saying, Holy Spirit, I need you. Please, I need you. I'm not big enough for this. I don't know how to handle this. I need your power. I need your power. The idea that somehow you're filled with the Holy Spirit and that stays the same forever, no. Constantly be being filled, being filled, being filled, being filled, because somebody is depending on you being filled. The Holy Spirit needs you to be filled for you, but also for somebody else. Somebody else needs you to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Walk in power. When you're feeling intimidated, you're feeling nervous, you're feeling unsure, you're feeling uh, um, scared, afraid, you're feeling tempted, any of those things, begin to pray in the Holy Spirit. Begin to pray. Begin. I do this in my head. I pray I pray in, in tongues the way 1 Corinthians 14 says. I just pray in tongues. I pray in tongues in my head. Why? Because I don't want to miss this here. I don't want to sin. I don't want to make a stupid mistake. I don't want to go outside what God says. I, I want to follow his word the way his word comes up into my spirit is I pray in the spirit and his word comes up. That, that's why he says the word of God have I hid in my heart. It's down inside. I've locked it in. We call that memorization, and memorization is the first step of it. But memorization is not hiding the Word of God in your heart. Memorization is putting the Word there so it can be hidden in your heart. Hiding in your heart is taking the memorized brain word and getting into your spirit and making it part of you, where you are walking God's Word. You're not walking yourself with a knowledge of the Word. I, I, when I was in, in high school, I memorized the entire book of John. We were doing a Bible quiz thing. I memorized the entire book of John. I can still quote most, if not all, of John right now. But here's the thing, is it was years and years later that the book of John began to be in my heart, not just in my head, because I didn't know the difference. I didn't understand the difference. I've talked about this before. Lenin, Vladimir Lenin. Am I mixing two guys up? Yeah, Vladimir Lenin. He memorized the entire Bible. He could quote every single word in the entire Bible. You could start anywhere. He could quote to the end and come right back around and quote it back to there. That's head knowledge. That's not spirit in your heart knowledge. Guys, we got to get God's word in us. The Holy Spirit is who brings it out through praying in the spirit, walking in the spirit. So, do you have a question, Aiden? Okay. Okay, so, uh, look down through here. There's... there's you know, one of the places I was going to read is where Peter is um, walking down the street and his shadow is healing people. That's not the Peter that denied Jesus. That's an empowered Peter. That's beyond the, the Peter and John that were, that were right before the cross. Think about this. All of the disciples, we see all of them being used by God. Every apostle except John, was, was uh, their life ended in horrible, well, in Judas because, you know, he was a disciple, not an apostle. But all the apostles' lives ended horribly because of the gospel except John. 
And I'm sure right around halfway through boiling in oil number one or two, maybe even three, he was probably wishing his life would have ended horribly. He had to write the book of Revelation, though. So, but all because of the gospel. Now look at this. Those guys, those apostles, they later they were disciples, later became apostles. Those apostles that died brutally at the hands of somebody because of the gospel, where were they when Jesus was being taken to the cross? Think about this. They, they had left him. They had abandoned him. The only two we see is Peter denying him. That wasn't really a good answer to that. Peter denying him or John sitting at the foot of the cross beside Mary. Everybody else is gone, but we don't see that John stood up. He just stayed with Mary, which was good. John, you did a good job. But, but we don't see any of the rest of them. And those were the guys that planted churches in China and in India, and planted churches down in Africa. Those are the guys that were brutalized because of their knowledge of Jesus Christ. Something happened. It was called Acts chapter 2. All right, let me pray for us. How do you think, how do you think we're going to pray? How do you think I, my brain is working right now to pray? I hear words. Boldness? Well, yeah, we don't even necessarily have to pray for boldness. We should. But let's step back one step. We know more than they did in Acts 4. Let's just pray for empowerment. He'll give us boldness. But, but sometimes you need to pray specifically for boldness. So we're going to pray empowerment. We're going to pray for boldness during this time. I think that's huge. Discernment, understanding. When Peter and John looked, they looked intent. There was discernment going on. Holy Spirit's going, hey, pay attention. It's called discernment. Okay? Um, pray, pray whatever, wherever you are in this whole subject. Pray. Holy Spirit, just show me you. Show me where I am right now and show me you. Somebody else may be over here and the Holy Spirit needs to show them this. Wherever you are, Holy Spirit, show me, the, show me you. Show me this. Right? Makes sense? Let's pray. God, we thank you for your amazingness. Lord, I thank you for the power of your gospel. The power of truth that cuts through everything. Lord, I pray... I pray that everyone in this room, everybody online, that our church, Church of Bargate, will be a church of truth. Lord, above everything else, above what, above uh, money, above uh, the amount of people, just whatever, Lord, we want to be a place of truth so that people will know you. That's it. People will know you in the name of Jesus. Lord, we need boldness. We need power. We need, we need your uh, power that goes beyond just our natural humanness. That we need the kind of power that changed Peter from who he was into somebody just a powerhouse. We need power. We need your Holy Spirit. Just like Acts 2, we need your Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray that every one of us here, that we would pray, not just every now and then, but daily, daily, throughout, constantly throughout our day, we would pray for power. We would pray for wisdom and understanding. We pray for discernment. We would pray for opportunities to witness. We would pray for, for, for boldness. We would pray for, for supernatural moments where people are, are hungry and ready to hear amazingness about you and truth about you. God, that we wouldn't be intimidated by the things of the world. And Lord, I, I believe, I believe strongly in my spirit we got another weird wave of goofiness coming six, nine months from now. Lord, I believe that strongly. God, I ask you to give us boldness and discernment. 
Help us work, start working it out now. Help us stop processing stuff now. Who we're going to be as a family now. Who we're going to be as a follower of yours now. How important your word is going to be to us now. Help us to get that established through the power of your Holy Spirit. So when the next, the, the next strange, goofy attack on our country happens, that God will be ready for it. Lord, I believe that a lot of Christians were flat-footed during this last thing. We've been so flat-footed during this, and we missed our opportunity. Lord, we want to be empowered. Fill us, empower us. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. God, we need this so much. We need this so much. Amen. Let me leave you with this as we go. Guys, don't, don't shy away from this, specifically if you're fairly newer to um, understanding who the Holy Spirit and stuff is. Don't shy away from it. When you're, when you're praying, you, you, be by yourself. It's, it's easier. You're not as nervous or worried about everybody else. But as you're, as you're going to sleep or whatever and you're praying, you're praying the Spirit, just begin to pray and let the Holy Spirit give you words to say. Non-you words. Not you words. Spiritual words. And just, just begin to pray those. You say, well, that's going to feel silly. Uh, maybe so. I, I get that. There was, a, there was a moment when it felt silly to me. Same thing when I talk to couples about praying together for the first time. Out loud together. I do that with couples that are struggling. I do it with pre-married couples. I do it pray out loud together. They're like, oh, that's weird. You've been married 25 years. You're saying you can't pray out loud in front of each other? But it's frightening. It's scary. It's horrendous. Why? Because Satan doesn't want you to go down that road. Pray. Pray in the Spirit. Pray in the Spirit. When you're standing in the shower, somebody will think you're singing. Just pray and do that all day long. All right? We will see you guys uh, Sunday morning. It is Pentecost Sunday. Sunday morning we will see you then.